Turn with me then to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessed son, Jesus. We ask in his name this morning that you'd help us as we preach from this passage of scripture. Lord, also as we teach the truths that you have laid before us here, God, may they be of benefit to everyone who hears and reads and, Lord, we'll glorify you for the great things that you do, for it is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. As we come to the book of Romans, we must say of this book the same that has to be said of every other book in the Word of God, that it has for its author the Lord God himself. This is not a book written by Paul. This was a book penned by the Apostle Paul, but written by God. And I think if we keep that truth in mind concerning every book in the canon of Scripture, we would understand things much better. There are times that we read and we see that the Apostle Paul was used to even tell of his authority as well as his permission, but all of those things we'd find come from God alone. The Spirit of God has inspired him to pen every word of this book. Now, certainly, we understand that as we read this epistle, and the other epistles which the Spirit of God used the Apostle Paul to pen, and we'd say the number is 13. Some of them are referred to as prison epistles, others as pastoral epistles, and then general epistles. And we'd find that the book of Romans falls under the heading of the general epistles that the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to pen. And we quote these passages, and we read from these passages. And it would help young men of God to understand that since the Apostle Paul did not write these books, but rather was just the penman, that we should never attribute these words to the Apostle Paul. I think whenever we make statements such as Paul said or John said, or Peter said, 
what we do is destroy the faith that people have in God's Word. And we also lessen the authority that's given to us in the Scriptures. For what is more authoritative? Is it to say, now Paul says, or is it to say, God says? You know that this is God's Word, that the Apostle Paul was indeed only the penman and was used of God to present those things which we find here in this book. Now, as concerning the order of this book, it is not the first of the epistles which God inspired him to pen. We do find that it is the first in order of those epistles as it appears in the canon of the Holy Scripture. We'd find the Gospels, then the book of Acts, and then Romans. It is interesting as we look at the last chapter of the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul there, while in prison, is visited by the Jews, and he quotes the passage from Isaiah, the prophecy concerning the Jewish people. And in Acts 28 and verse 27, For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. We have made mention of this passage of Scripture before, and as we find that the Apostle Paul is inspired to speak these words to those Jews, talking about the salvation of God that will be sent to Gentiles, that as we turn the page in our Bibles and begin with the book of Romans, we know that these people are Gentiles. And so we are not surprised to find then in this book, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so the Jews are admonished that the Gentiles now will receive the gospel, and the very next book in order in the canon of Scripture is Romans, and we find in that book then that the Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Aren't you thankful that you did not depend upon some sign, some miracle for your faith, but you heard, and because you heard, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were saved by faith, and by faith alone. We understand that this book, written to the Gentiles, is laid out and given to us in such a way that there could be no mistaking the fact that the Spirit of God was at work with this book. As we've already mentioned, this is not the first of the epistles which God would have the Apostle Paul to pen. However, it is the first that appears in order in the New Testament. Now, Brother Mitch has brought this to your attention before, but it is worth repeating this morning. You do understand that the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 concerning a certain man. There in that chapter of God's Word, Revelation 13, verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. 
and his number is 600, threescore and six. Now, this is the number of a man, one man in particular, and this will be the number of the Antichrist, six, six, six. You know that. So it's not necessarily the number of man, but the number of a man, 666, and yet we find that this number 6, just 6 alone, does often refer throughout the scriptures, if you want to study Bible numerology, to man and God's dealing with man. Isn't it interesting then that this epistle, which God has inspired the apostle to pen, is the sixth in order of the books in your New Testament. It's number six. It's interesting then as you look at the title of the book itself, Romans, there are six letters in that word Romans. And if you examine that title more closely, the word man is within the title of Romans. And if you look then at the sixth chapter in the sixth book in your New Testament, Romans chapter 6, and look then at the sixth verse in the sixth chapter of the sixth book in your New Testament, which has the word man in the very title, and look then at the sixth word in the sixth chapter of the sixth book in the New Testament, what is it? Knowing this, that our old man... So we'd find that that word six is arranged for us in the scriptures that it does talk about a man and the number 666 talks about a particular man. And you won't find this laid out in any other English translation except the King James Bible. And folks, this Bible, you know it, your King James Bible believers, it is not put together by man. It was not put together by the Apostle Paul. It was put together by the Spirit of God, and aren't you thankful that it is a supernatural book? Now, as we examine this book of Romans, we understand that it contrasts the Jew and the Gentile in many places. You also understand that it reveals a great truth concerning both Jew and Gentile. Now, the Jews something whereof to boast. They are God's chosen people as a nation. And you know, despite what anyone else thinks or what they say, that God will exalt the nation of Israel again in the last days. And so we find that great nation of Israel, the Jews. Now you know the Gentiles, on the other hand, have nothing spiritually whereof we may boast. And all of us are Gentiles. But when it comes down to the truth of the matter, every man, whether he be a Jew or a Gentile, is convinced before God as being a sinner. Now that nation of Israel, they have something over all of the Gentile nations. But when it comes to individuals, we're all the same. We are all sinners. And does the Bible not tell us that in this very book, in Romans 3 and verse 23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, verse 22 will even tell you, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. All of them are sinners, and yet we find as well... 
that this Bible does not just contrast the Jew and the Gentile, specifically in the book of Romans. It tells us here that all have sinned, but it gives the remedy in this book for all as well. And we find that here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we find that there is a difference between the Jew and the Gentile, nationally speaking, we understand, though, that all are sinners, and there is the same remedy for sin for every individual, and that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we would find then, as we examine this book, that it has a theme. It has a theme, and that theme is righteousness. Righteousness. Thirty-eight times the word righteousness appears in the book of Romans. Again, we look at it within the context of the way the book is laid out for us. And we find that the Jews were given the law, and they were expected to obey that law, and we find then that they gradually began to, uh, to look at their obedience as a means to righteousness. And yet we understand it could never be so. And we'd find then that Gentiles were without God. We are just heathen who had no thought of God or of his law. We were ignorant concerning his word, and yet we needed righteousness. And then we'd find that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us of his righteousness. And then we understand that God does expect his people to live in a righteous manner. And we'd understand that the end of the book of Romans concerns itself with the way that God's people ought to live. It has been said of the book of Romans that it is an abridgment of the Christian life. That everything we need to know about living for the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us here in this book of Romans as an outline. And we find that this Bible which speaks of righteousness is not just the righteousness of salvation as revealed here in the book of Romans, but the righteousness that is reflected in those who were saved after they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find as well that not only is this word righteousness mentioned so often in the book of Romans, but the word justification is found only. Now, not justify or just, but the specific word justification is found only in the entire word of God in the book of Romans. And that three times. And if we look there to Romans chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible tells us, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And we find then that justification as presented to us here in this book is contrasted with condemnation. And, of course, the difference then is the righteousness. 
that we find through the Lord Jesus Christ. We find then, as the book opens, it opens this way, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. It opens with this greeting. And this is, in brief, a biographical sketch of the apostle Paul. First of all, we find that he is revealing his name here, Paul. You know him, the great apostle to the Gentiles. We find his character then revealed to us as well in the next phrase, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a wonderful thing to be a servant, and we'll examine that a little more closely this evening. But we find not only his name, his character revealed, but we find his office revealed as well in this opening verse of the book called to be an apostle. And this is indeed the office of Paul. And then we find also the great work to which God had called him separated unto the gospel of God. And we know that the scripture tells us in another of those epistles penned by the same man in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the place where he declares under inspiration the Spirit of God in verse 17 of that chapter, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It is indeed his great work preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everywhere that we find him, he's doing just that. So we find his name, his character, his office, and his work revealed in verse 1. Now it's interesting, as we examine the first word of this book, Paul, his name. As we look at that this morning, we know that that was not his name originally, but his name was changed from Saul to Paul. Now, occasionally we will refer to him with both names, not together, but on occasion we will call him Saul, especially as we talk about his conversion and how God saved his soul. But all of the rest of the times we will talk about him as Paul, for his name is different. Now, this man, we'd find over in Philippians chapter 3, further information about his background. In Philippians 3, and verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So we find that after the the Apostle Paul could say that indeed he was a Jew. In fact, not just a normal Jew. We understand that this man 
was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee concerning the law, and he had great zeal in that Jewish faith. And we'd find that he says, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. And we'd find then, in his own testimony, he distinguishes between the righteousness which comes from the law and the righteousness then which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God without the law. Now concerning righteousness which is by the law, the apostle Paul knew himself to be blameless. But isn't it good when we understand that as good as a man could live, if he could obey every command, if he could keep every letter of the law and be just in the flesh, that he'd still not be right with God? Isn't it good to know that there is an imputed righteousness that comes only from the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes us just before God instead of only just in the eyes of men. And the Apostle Paul understood that, for there in verse 7 of Philippians 3, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So we know that this man was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was an Israelite in the greatest sense of the word. But the Bible tells us further about this one who is called Paul in Acts chapter 22. There in verse 25, after Paul has been arrested, Acts 22:25. and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. We find that the apostle Paul was not only a Hebrew, but the place of his birth made him a Roman, a Roman citizen. You know that he's called Saul of Tarsus in the scriptures. And we know that this centurion said that he had purchased his freedom, but the Apostle Paul said that he was freeborn. And we find that a Roman. When they asked him, Art thou a Roman? he said, Yea. And so now we understand that the Apostle Paul was born in a Roman city, which made him a Roman citizen, but he was of the stock of Israel which made him a Jew. 
And we understand that he had both of these nationalities which he could claim. And they were both used for his benefit throughout his ministry. We come to Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. And it's very interesting as we examine this passage of Scripture. Acts 13 verse 9. Then Saul who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Now we'll just examine that one verse in that chapter this morning, and we'll look at it in more detail this evening. But suffice it to say that this is the place where Saul is introduced as Paul. For this is the first time in the New Testament that Saul is called by his new name, Paul. And it's interesting. This is also the last time in the New Testament that he is called Saul. Never again will he be known in the Scriptures. Never again will the Spirit of God refer to him by his old name. And the only other time that the old name Saul is used is in Acts chapter 22 when... He is recounting what the Lord said to him on the road to Damascus, as he called him by his old name. And it's interesting that there have been many throughout history who once they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they changed their names or they added a new name. Now, folks, it is a wonderful thing to know that when the Lord Jesus Christ saved us, that he changed us. And that we ought to continually be conformed to his image. We understand that this man who had been so wicked and so vile as far as the persecuting of the church is concerned now has a new name. And he's going to be part of the church. He's not going to persecute the church any longer, but he is going to love the church. And we'd find that as far as this name change is concerned, that those to whom he was first introduced after his conversion had heard of that name, Saul. And it brought fear unto them as Saul came around, for they still weren't sure that he wouldn't persecute them. And yet we'd find that his name was changed. He was called Paul. This is the name that would not bring fear to the church, but rather a name that would be used that would bring joy and hope and help and comfort and understanding to the saints, not only in the first century church, but in every age afterwards. In fact, there have been so many whom God has used this man to help in their understanding of the Scriptures that one entire group of ancient Baptists were known by his name. They were called the Paulicians because they studied faithfully the Scriptures and especially the epistles, as the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to pen. We'd find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, First Timothy 1 and verse 12, 
And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And so we find that there is a difference in Saul of Tarsus who went to Damascus while he was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, that when God saved him, he changed him, and that change is reflected in his name. And mark it down, whenever God saved a person who had before been a persecutor of those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they ceased to be a persecutor of the church. Now that ought to help you to understand a little bit about the character and the lack of integrity of those who are Roman Catholic who have persecuted the saints of God across the centuries. It ought to help you understand a little bit about the character and the faith or lack thereof of a Martin Luther, a John Calvin, and a Yorick Zwingli, for they, supposedly being Christian, never ceased to persecute God's people. And we'd find that when the Apostle Paul got right with the Lord God, he no longer had a desire to persecute, but he had a desire to love and to help those who were called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was injurious, before he was a persecutor, but no longer. And the name is not is reflected not with Saul, but with Paul. And we'd find then this name as we examine it this morning, appears again of all the epistles which he was inspired to pen. Every one of them open. Understand that there has been a controversy concerning the penman of the Hebrews. And some have said that it also is the Apostle Paul. And yet we'd find that the scripture tells us concerning those books which the Apostle Paul was inspired to pen in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 17, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now still there seems to be some confusion because some will say that the salutation is not just the opening of the book, but the closing of the book as well. And yet it's never used that way in the scriptures. We do find that his books, that the Spirit of God inspired him to pen, close, all of them with the word amen, and all of them talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they're not the only ones that we'd find in the scriptures that close that way. For we'd see that the books that the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John to pen, as well as Jude, they all end the same way with the word amen, and often talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we find none of them begin with the word Paul. And when we examine this idea of a salutation, we can look to the book of Luke, chapter 1. 
Remember, your King James Bible defines itself, and the usage of words will help us to understand the meaning of certain scripture within its context. In Luke chapter 1, we find in verse 26, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, if you get your Webster's 1828 dictionary and examine the definition of the word salutation, you will find that there are two basic words given there for the definition. One of them is to greet. The other is to hail. And we would find here in verse 28 of Luke chapter 1, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, and thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his sake, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. So within the very context, we find that your King James Bible has defined this word salutation as hail. It is a greeting. It's when the angel came and greeted her. And we find that the word saluted is used nine times in the Word of God all throughout. Nine times it is used, and that's saluted is showing action what actually takes place, and if we examine all nine of those entries in the Word of God, we'd find that every one of them takes place when there is a greeting, a meeting, when they first come together. We'd find not just that in Luke chapter 1, but we'd also find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, another of the epistles which... The Apostle Paul has penned in 1 Corinthians 16, beginning with verse 19, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with an holy kiss, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. Two times the word salute is used, and two times the word greet is used, and then the word salutation, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. And usually, as these books are closed, we'd find that the Spirit of God is directing him to write what must be said when there is a meeting, when there is a greeting of those to whom this letter is delivered. Greet this person that's there in the church, and this person, and that person. In fact, if you look at the end of the book of Romans, the last chapter, you'll find that there are 28 individuals to whom the Apostle Paul sends greeting there in Rome. And it's interesting that this book, that is penned by the Apostle Paul is to the Romans. Now, it's not the first in order, chronologically speaking, of the epistles which God used him to pen, but it's the first, you remember, as it appears in the canon of the New Testament, and isn't it interesting that it's going to the place where he was born. It's going to the very country and to his countrymen who no doubt... Many of them were just as he, Israelites, after the flesh, 
citizens according to birth of the same country, but now as he greets them, as he sends a salutation, now he is doing so as a changed man. He's doing so as one who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and who has obtained like precious faith with all of those to whom he is greeting. And what a wonderful change it is that he is saluting them. And we'd find as we look into the book of Colossians chapter 4. There in Colossians 4, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And so we'd find... It's interesting that the Spirit of God is going to use this man to pen this book that will be sent to the country of his birth, and that many people who were Jews, and that's interesting, you remember there in Acts, the Apostle Paul is in jail in Rome. He's gone up to Rome now. He's in prison in Rome. This book according to the dates that we have, had already been penned at that time. And so he has sent ahead this book of Romans as a greeting to those. Remember, the names were numerous that were listed in the last chapter of the book of Romans, and not just by name, but he says the church and them that are in the house. Many people were greeted by this book. And we'd find back again in the Book of Acts 28 and verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. He had some company while he was there in bonds. And no doubt it was many of the same people to whom the Spirit of God it inspired him to pen this book, that they might be helped in the faith, that they might understand it more clearly, that they who were Jews living in a Gentile country might know that Jews and Gentiles would be in the same body, that there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, that the same Lord over all is rich and all that call upon him and that they all had to be saved the same way the Jew no more by obeying the law, but we'd find by only being justified through the righteousness that came from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting how God has put all of these things together and has used this man, a man who describes himself as a servant, the Spirit giving him Liberty, as an apostle, and as one separated into this great work of preaching the gospel. Now, folks, we're not Jews. 
but we do live amongst many Gentile heathen. And unless we get lifted up in pride, we were nothing any better before we got saved. We're fit for nothing but hell. Will we not also determine that our name will be one that will bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, when we got saved, we didn't change our name. We're still known by the same name. But the Bible says over in the book of Proverbs 20 and verse 11 that even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. So you're known, you're known by what you do as well as by your name. And everything that the Apostle Paul did after his conversion was to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot that goes along with the name. And I ask you this morning, as we make a spiritual application to this very first verse, opening message of this book, how are you known? Is your name one that is a good name? Do people know you as being pure? Do they know you as being right? Do they know you as loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they know you as one who now loves the church? What do they know of your character? Do they think of you when they hear your name as being a servant? One who does not need the preeminence, but one who is willing to do whatever the Lord Jesus Christ requires of them? Do they also know that you have been set apart for a certain work? None of us are apostles. We cannot be apostles, but certainly God has a work for us to do. And as it was with the Apostle Paul who was separated unto the gospel of God, though we may not be all preachers, we may not all be pastors, we may not be missionaries, we may not be evangelists, we may never go to another country preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but spiritually speaking, all of us are ambassadors for Christ. Each and every one of us have the responsibility to preach the gospel to those around us, and we must do so with an integrity that does not detract from that gospel from our work, so that we may glorify him in all things. Father, we thank you for your word. God, you are so good to us. We thank you for this great servant, the Apostle Paul, whom you called, and whom you separated into your work. Oh God, we know we'll never be in an Apostle Paul, but help us to be just as faithful to the work to which you've called us. Lord, may we learn from this book of Romans, and may we learn from the life of this apostle. God, may we indeed be challenged to live more like you. And God, may we be convicted from our study of this book. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen.